Hello and welcome to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. All right, you guys, welcome back to the show. Happy to have you here. Happy Wellness Wednesday. If this is when you listen, which if you haven't noticed already, Wednesday is when the podcast comes out, but you can be listening any day and still getting this awesome info. So I've got a really, really, really insightful and amazing episode today. I am cannot wait to get into it. Um, I interviewed uh, Dr. Lucas Timms. He's a naturopathic doctor. He um, is amazing. He is a expert on naturopathic oncology and integrative cancer care. He specializes in things like IV vitamin C, mistletoe, ozone therapy, the immune system. And he really has just a very clinical insight on really this epidemic of cancer. Um, you know, in our discussion, he talks about the fact that he's seeing patients in their 20s and 30s come in with these cancers. And we kind of talk about why why are we seeing people younger and younger and younger get these cancers? Um, whereas before it really had just been something you develop l- later on, but that's not what he's seeing in his clinical practice. And, you know, I'm just so drawn to what he does because he really, he and him, his colleagues, his clinic, um, they are really a huge part of the change uh, that we that we need in cancer care. Seeing it firsthand with my mom, and um, you know, fortunately, like I've talked about on this episode before or on this podcast before, we've been able to seek out integrative practitioners who will really kind of help us get to the root cause. And, and unfortunately, we were still kind of within that journey. Um, you know, I, I understand that uh, that care like this needs to be more accessible, uh, needs to be more, more widely talked about. And so that's why we did this interview today. Um, I think that you're really going to get a lot out of this interview because we talk a lot about lifestyle things, so many different foods that you can add in foods that, um, that are really healing and can be preventative in nature. And we also talk a lot about, um, lifestyle things. We talk a lot about personal care products and, um, these parabens and phthalates and all of these things that chronic, chronic use over time really is impacting the body and we need to be understanding why and he gives us some amazing tips so um I hope that you guys enjoy today's episode I know that I I learned a lot um and I cannot wait to hear what you think about it so without further ado enjoy today's interview all right you guys I have Dr. Lucas Timms here with us today he is an integrative oncologist and we're going to be talking about all things cancer root cause prevention and how we can take a proactive stance on this because you know, it's what, what's a statistic doc. You can, you can, uh, correct me, but what one in two males and one in three females is about what the going rate is now. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly oh, what it's it horrible. Is. So anyways, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you here. I found you on uh, Dr. G's podcast and I just, I love, love, love the work that you do. Yeah, yeah, feelings mutual. Um, you know, glad we connected. Uh, I have dove into a lot of your, you know, a lot of the stuff you have on your uh, platform, and and I think we're aligned on a lot of stuff, obviously. And um, you know, uh, having shared you shared your story about about your mom, uh, I know that cancer is a very personal thing for you and your family. And as we were just talking, you know, it's going to become a personal thing for most people at some point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean. 
I think that this field of integrative oncology uh, that, that I work in every day is unfortunately going to become, you know, I have a little bit of job security, I guess, so to speak. Um, the demand's definitely rising. I mean, I, we're, we're so busy here. We're having trouble keeping up. We're having to expand uh, constantly. So uh, it's good problems to have from a, a business career standpoint. But yeah, I think it speaks to the sort of runaway train we have with, um, with cancer in our country. And, and oh, our absolutely. Abs- I mean, it's, I feel like every single day I'm getting a DM from somebody. Oh, they, my mom was just diagnosed or my dad was just, and it's like, and when I, when my mom had passed, I was so saddened by the amount of messages that I got from other people saying, Oh, my mom died two years ago. My dad died. Two, and I was just like, that's not fair that so many people have to do this. And clearly it's not getting any better, right? Like when did the fight against cancer, when was that promotion started, you know, within our government that was in the late 1900s. Well, it's continued to get worse. Sixties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nixon. That's right. 60s and, uh, so it's yeah. I mean, how many billions of dollars have been thrown at it? And um, you know, there's obviously been some advancements and some improvements uh, and there's, a small handful of cancers that do really well going through the conventional factory style treatments, but there's still so much that we just um, are really just not doing well at. And overall, you know, advanced stage cancers, for, for the most part, the overall survival rates have not changed much in that 60 years, despite all that money, all that. And that's a problem. I mean, I just, and, and what I was frustrated with is, you know, I remember when my mom went, she went to Dana Farber and I had her ask, I said, make sure you ask what they want you to do nutritionally. They said nothing. Just make sure you eat, just make sure you eat. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So, you know, we obviously did so much, but think about how many people don't have that. And they're, you know, cancer is a very scary diagnosis. Your mind obviously goes immediately to the worst thing and you just feel trapped into going kind of this cookie cutter conventional route, but I'm so happy that you do what you do. And so can you tell us a little bit about like, you know, what your schooling was? Did you have the conventional route and then knew that you wanted to dive in deeper? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I did, um, I did my medical school, uh, I did a naturopathic medical school program, um, out in Arizona. So it's a, for those of you that aren't familiar with naturopathic, uh, doctors or naturopathic medicine. Um, it's sort of a, a unique um, type of medicine that mirrors a lot of what traditional medical doctors and, and DOs go through, but more so with an emphasis on natural therapies. We learn about diet and lifestyle. We learn about um, things like Chinese medicine. We learn a lot about nutritional therapies and sort of, I'd say the biggest thing that differentiates a naturopathic doctor from a tr- traditional medical doctor is more so the philosophy in which we apply our therapies. Cause we are trained in, you know, pharmaceuticals and we can prescribe drugs and do that type of stuff, but it's more so the lens in which we're, we're looking through at our patients more so from a root cause standpoint, more so from a, you know, let's use the most least invasive, um, uh, therapies and try to help the body heal itself as much as possible. So just more of a philosophical uh, difference. So I did my, my medical school out in Arizona, naturopathic program, and then um, went on to do a oncology focused residency through Cancer Treatment Centers of America after that. I, I didn't know when I went to med school that I wanted to get into oncology uh, or cancer care, even though just like you, I had a 
strong family history of breast, of breast cancer, prostate cancer. Um, there's a lot of it in my family. So I was interested in cancer, but it wasn't until, um, until I met my wife, who was then just at the time we were just dating, but uh, about halfway through med school, we met, started dating. And very soon after that, she was diagnosed with cancer. Wow. And, um, and so here I am, like just cutting my teeth, trying to get through med school. And then I, you know, this whole other journey starts for me uh, of really finding, finding, you know, my, my partner for life, but also finding my passion through helping her through that journey. Um, and so I knew very early on in my, you know, at least halfway through my med school career that I was going to work in oncology. I wanted to be um, a disruptor in that field. I wanted to change it because going through that process with her enlightened me to a lot of the problems that are, that exist in that system, uh, which anybody who's gone through that as a, as either a patient, a caregiver, a loved one, it's pretty yeah. obvious all, all the holes and the gaps and the shortcomings of that system, even for all the good things that they do, you know, I mean, they're very good at, um, at diagnostics. They're very good at surgical procedures. I mean, radiation can be life-saving in some, in some instances and certain chemotherapy programs for certain tumor types in certain stages can save lives too, no doubt. But there's so much left there. That's just like you said, even asking about nutrition, what should I be eating? Um, it's actually probably they they did your mom a service by telling her nothing, because oftentimes <laughs> they say to do the wrong stuff, which is actually, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, drink milkshakes and, and eat cheeseburgers and just eat as much sugar as possible and fatten yourself up because that's what we're you know, we just want to keep you plump. And it's the worst and, thing and, that you could and, do. I mean, the shakes that they have, like the second ingredient is vegetable oil. And I, it was funny. I was looking back at one of the books that was given to her as a recipe guide and the recipes were absolute garbage. They were these high carb, low protein, low fat meals and vegetable oil, shortening margarine were in these recipes. And I was like, what are we giving this to people who are sick? Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, when you, when you dig a little deeper and you realize that the same companies that own the nutritional, like the shake companies are also the owners of the pharmaceutical companies. Makes sense. It's, you can, you can, it makes sense. Yeah. You can connect the dots pretty easily, but anyways, back to my story. Um, so going through that with my wife, obviously is what, what got me interested in the field of oncology and then doing that residency in a hospital system where I was literally engulfed in the conventional model for two years, I, I got to really see behind this, behind oh, the curtain. I uh, you know, I, I've mentioned it's kind of like going to Oz and like really like seeing the wizard. Really, it's like okay, this is really what's going on back here. Wow. Um, and so that you know, and I, I worked at Cancer Treatment Centers of America, passed my residency for several years. I worked my way up to you know the director of integrative oncology at one of their hospitals. So I I fully immersed myself in that. But then after about eight years, I I realized it was time to change. Um, and so for the last three years now, I've been at the Reardon Clinic, relocated to Kansas City. And I would say I'm just kind of now starting to hit my stride awesome. and do what I really had that passion to do, you know, um, back when I was in med school and kind of getting this fire lit under me the first time. And now I'm kind of seeing all that come to fruition and 
doing the work that I want to do with patients day to day in my practice. That's so awesome. And I feel like integrative approach, like you said, you know, you guys can still do, you can still prescribe and whatnot, but I feel like that's the only place that we even got some sort of answer, right? Like when we went to an integrative practitioner, you know, she obviously talked about IVs and, you know, we've done, we talked about mistletoe and, um, you know, Dr. Nasha Winters, I dove into all of her things and you're trained by her. Is that, or you did some work with her? Yeah. 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 Dr. Nasha and I are very close. Um, we, we've collaborated on a lot of things. Um, you know, I, I'm part of her mastermind network, yeah. if you will. And, um, yeah, she's, she's oh, my, I, anybody that knows her or has read her book or seen any of her interviews or media stuff can realize how awesome Oh, incredible she is. wealth of knowledge. I mean, her book, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer is, I recommend that if anybody, I recommend that everybody probably read that book, whether you know someone who has cancer or not, it's incredible. But like, you know, we learned that, oh, well maybe Lyme, you know, Lyme could be linked to the type of breast cancer that she had and mold exposure and all of these things. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like trying to connect the dots because you know, we, we never ate the standard American diet. My mom was very active. None of these things made sense, but then we start to realize, oh my God, she never sweat. You know, she never like detoxed. And we're like, oh my God, you know, things that we weren't told in conventional oncology. So can we talk about for a second, these, these root causes of this disease that, that might not be as mainstream, you know, obviously obesity is we, we get that that makes sense and metabolic health that makes sense and whatnot. But what about some of the deeper ones that you're starting to see? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, we, there's in the conventional model, they sort of look at like causes, um, as like these, you know, these, these risk factors, right? So it's like, okay, we know if you're overweight, if, if you're a smoker, if you, you know, heavy alcohol user, uh, you know, age, obviously, you know, it's like, it's almost like you just look at like the numbers, the statistics, and you start to make connections there. But I would say like, we're really not doing that deep, deep dive on a, across the board yet with, with patients. And this is what I've discovered just in the last few years working with patients is that, um, Cancer is not really a disease. It's actually a symptom. I like that. And I think that's really important. Like I talk to my patients about that a lot and, and they kind of like, they look at me like, like you did there, like a little bit weird. And it's like, oh wait, let that sit in for a second. Cancer, like no one injected these cancer cells into your body, right? I mean, I hope <laughs> not, but, but these, these cells arose from your normal healthy cells, right? They, at one point, they were just your normal cells going along, rep, replicating in whatever organ system we're talking about. So really what's going on in cancer is that it's a very normal uh, cellular response to an unhealthy environment. And so what can cause unhealthy environment in the body? Well, of course, you know, eating crappy and smoking and all those other things. Yes, that's part of it. But a whole nother piece of that puzzle that doesn't get talked about is environmental toxins, stress, uh, mental, emotional toxicity. Um, and so, and, and just day-to-day -day lifestyle issues that build up too, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's, uh, you know, work-related, relationship-related, 
um, not exercising. You know, there's so many things that fall into that category, but we're only just really scratching the surface with some of these things that we consider risk factors. And so what we've kind of taken the approach, what I've taken the approach of doing with my patients is like really getting into, I call it my soil testing, um, but like really getting into the roots of, of like, why did these cells get forced into a cancerous state? Yeah, that's, you know, and, it's important. Yeah. I mean, because most, I, I think that everybody deserves to know why, you know, because if not, you can just kind of, oh, it's just bad luck. It's just bad luck. Well, it's, yeah, it's easy to do that. And that's oftentimes the canned answer they get from their oncologist as well. Yeah. I mean, it was probably a little bit, your just your genetics and your family history. And then the rest is just kind of bad luck. Sorry. And to me, like that was one of the things we heard when my wife was going through it. And it was just like, that never sat well with me. Um, and so I guess for the last 15 years, I've been constantly trying to answer like, or find that answer that I was searching for back then. I was mm-hmm. like, why, why? why did this happen? Because my wife was in her mid twenties, you know, like there's no reason. And I'm seeing patients now twenties and thirties, just as many 20 and 30 year olds as I am 60 and 70 year olds. So what's that missing link? And to me, the biggest missing link that we're not diving into are environmental toxins. And uh, I've talked about it before, but um, the top four that I see in my practice and my patients across the board, are heavy metals, mold or mycotoxins, plastics, and pesticides. Wow. And um, we just, we see them, you know, sometimes there's one, one, you know, each patient had, might have one high load of one of those. I've seen patients where all four of those are, are high. And so, you know, it, it kind of starts to connect the dots there where it's like, okay, you know, we're living in a more and more toxic world every day. The amount of chemicals that we slather on our body or ingest on a daily basis is in the hundreds on a daily basis, the amount of chemicals. And so, uh, and most of these, you know, if you start to look into them, you realize that, yeah, like we kind of know that these have cancer causing potential. Right. I can't believe that that's even a discussion. You know, I, I really am a huge advocate for clean environments and whatnot. And I, I think that, I think that a lot of people don't necessarily care what they're using until they actually see like, oh, I have extreme hormone disruption, which a lot of people do like with, with my work, it's so, you know, minuscule hormone disruption, missing periods and estrogen dominance and things, but those things add up over time. And then, you know, unfortunately manifest in these things. And when you said that you were seeing more 20 and 30 year olds, I got goosebumps. I, it makes me sick to know that, that that's where we're at. And do you think that I mean, I feel like, like you said, you know, we're just continuing to live in a more and more toxic world. And I, I think that people can be very overwhelmed by that because they're like, well, you know, what can I do? And, you know, all these different like biohacking and saunas and all these things are expensive. And I get that, you know, yeah. but there's also so many things that we can do, um, you know, that aren't as, aren't as cost effective. Like what are some way? what are some simple tips? Maybe. Sometimes a lot of these things are going to save exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. So what are some things that you, you would say that we can do to cut down on these environmental things? Yeah. Um, well, I would say, you know, in general for people that don't have cancer, you know, uh, if, if you have cancer, you really need to do a deep dive and work with yeah. somebody. But as far as just like taking a proactive stance right. against it, um, number one would be eat as organic as possible. Uh, because that's going to cut out a lot of the pesticide exposure. Um, 
you know, certainly don't don't spray stuff on your lawn. If, if you live in a farming community, you might want to look, you know, do some deeper dive into, you know, looking at certain uh, exposures. But across the board, eating organic mm-hmm. as possible. Uh, that That's a pretty simple one, although it, it does oftentimes cost more money. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you can kind of see that as well. You pay now or you pay yeah, later. Yeah, I pay now easily. Um, yeah. Um, you know, as far as getting like plastics out, like the, one of the main ways we are exposed to plastics are through water bo- drinking water bottles and like foods that come in plastic containers. And so, um, you know, whether it's buying your groceries at a farmer market, farmer's market, or, you know, getting a good uh, filter for your, your water at home so that you don't have to go out and buy those cases of plastic, of plastic bottle, uh, plastic bottles, um, or, you know, buying like a really nice, uh, you know, steel or glass bottle that you can carry around with you and refill uh, from that, from that filtered water. That's another yeah, good one. Definitely. Um, as far as heavy metals, that one can be a little tougher. Most of the times those are more insidious. Um, but you know, certainly lead and mercury and arsenic are probably the ones we find the most of. Most of those are getting in through the water supply and food supply. Too. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. ask about how do you feel, you know, cause uh, uh, arsenic is in a lot of rice and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people that if you can try to get, you know, if you're using like a vegan protein, try to get organic, if they use rice and, you know, even though that doesn't cut all of it, but it's hard because that's what, what is the yes. poison, right? So it's, these people are using these products sometimes multiple times every day. Whereas, okay, if you use this one thing once in a while, probably not the end of the world, but I just project us seeing an even bigger rise in this because I look at the amount of supplements that people use. I look at the amount of like all these things that you just mentioned that people are using multiple times a day, every single day. It's not, yes. it's not this micro dose like it probably used to be. Exactly. And so that's where you kind of have to do some education for people and, and get them to understand that it's, it's actually the mundane things that make the most difference because it's those daily habits and that, you know, that deodorant or that shampoo that you use in the shower or what you're laundering your clothes with, or the water you're drinking. It's like those little mundane, like drops over time that add up and cause really this accumulation that leads to chronic diseases like cancer. Um, but then the other side of that that people need to understand is that, yeah, there's the exposure part of it, but then there's the body's ability to eliminate it. And so this is what you're talking about with like, yeah, people that don't yeah. sweat. And like, if you're, if you've been constipated for 20 years, cause your thyroid doesn't work or whatever, like you're, you're almost, um, logarithmically multiplying the effects of those toxins in your body, because your body normally should be eliminating these on a daily basis. Uh, through the liver, the the stool, the skin, the breath, the kidneys, all our pathways of elimination, yeah. if those are all working well, it's pretty amazing what the human body can withstand. But we've also coupled this like rise and surge and accumulation of toxins with a more sedentary lifestyle, people who are constantly indoors all the time, um, people that are, you know, eating convenient fast foods, that are clogging up these pathways of elimination, hormone disruption, um, people that are constantly dehydrated, right? Because everybody's living on soda and coffee. Mm-hmm. So you know you can kind of see how we've gotten into this pickle when you start to look at the like all the pieces of the equation. Uh, but this is what's not being talked about, at least not on a broad scale. No, absolutely. I mean, I wish that 
that we could find out, okay, what are the levels of plastic in our body? Like that should be much easier to find out. But like I was telling you offline, trying to get those tests here in New York is, is insanely hard. I don't know what it is about New York. They don't like functional tests very much. So, you know, that's, that's difficult. And I have to go around nutrition things by doing uh, like organic acids and it's, you have to play the game, but yeah. it's so frustrating, but that should be like, you know, you go get your yearly blood panel. Like you check for your toxic load, you check for your head. Like that should be routine in my opinion. I completely agree. I completely agree. I think that that would be in many ways, maybe the most preventative test you could have done on an annual basis would be to check toxin, check, check the major toxin loads, um, and see where you need to make adjustments. Um, as well as measuring your body's uh, capacity to detoxify those things. So, you know, doing a deep dive into your gut health and your liver health and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I think those would be, that would be, you know, true, like annual screening and preventative exams, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you know, not these, not these early detection tests that we have now that we call, we kind of masquerade as prevention. Right. Right. That's not, I don't consider a mammogram that I'll have to get one earlier. I don't consider that prevention. I consider a prevention, using non-toxic products, using clean, like breathing clean air, drinking clean water, eating that's prevention. And I do that on a daily basis and I'm not a perfect hundred percent of the time, but I mean, coming from, yeah, nobody nobody is, but I, I never ever want to step foot in an integrative oncologist or oncologist office ever, unless I'm there like shadowing. (laughs) I never want to be on the other side as a patient because I mean, I've seen that journey and I know you've seen it too with your wife and, you know, has her lifestyle changed you know, being, you know, that she never wants it to come back. Like has her lifestyle kind of changed, you know, to this lifelong preventative thing. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we live it every day, you know, um, she has to obviously with her history, but you know, it's, it's just become, it's easier when you get the whole family on board. Right. And then, you know, I already come from a family, you know, having gone to naturopathic medical school, like I was already kind of brought into this world thinking along these lines. My family were, was, my parents were very into nutrition and, um, and had a business built around that. But yeah, I mean, this is where, you know, oftentimes my patients that I see the, there's a ripple effect where, um, yeah, they're coming to me, they've got cancer, but by them making the changes that we discuss and put in place, it changes usually the whole family dynamic and all of a sudden their kids were affecting their risk. We're, we're actually doing some, you know, indirect prevention with them as well, because especially with moms, like kids are going to eat what the moms want them to eat, you know? And so um, buying organic and getting these coxic cleaners out of your home and getting rid of plastics and all this stuff. When I do that for my patients, that ripple effect happens. And so it's, it's pretty powerful And uh, that's what we've seen with my wife too, like her family, she grew up in, you know, like middle Midwest farmland style place where, you know, organic, like, is just like a fancy (laughs) word, doesn't mean anything. Um, Everything's meat and potatoes, you know, and, and so those effects have taken place in her extended family as well. And so it's powerful. I think like from a public health standpoint, like if we just start to get more and more people aware of these things and aware of the changes they can make 
uh, it'll it'll take off. Oh, absolutely. And I and I totally agree. I mean, when we really started implementing so many of these things, like now my parents' house is, you know, all non-toxic. They got an air doctor and they got all the non-toxic. Like that makes me happy because now at least I know that my dad is 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 being better off for it, right? And you know, we they got an infrared sauna so that so at least those healthy habits can kind of continue because that's important. And and I plan on kind of taking all that that I learned and you know changing what, you know, our future kids do, you know, what their upbringing is and passing that along. But, you know, that's sure. why I do this podcast. That's why I talk to people like you, because I, I want the narrative to change and I don't want it to change when you get the diagnosis, right? Like when I think about that statistic, I think about, oh my God, that's, that's, I think about like my family or my group of friends. And I'm like, that's a few of those people that I love, right? Like that just, it just doesn't sit well. Um, so what are some of, um, like if someone comes to see you in office, what are some ways that like, do you do, do you administer chemotherapy or do you work in conjunction with their traditional oncologist and tackle more, you know, the detox, the lifestyle, the herbs, do you do any IVs in office? We do IVs. We don't do chemo. Um, I have a, you know, of course, when I worked at CTCA, I had, you know, the medical oncologist there that would do the chemo, but, um, here in, Kansas City, uh, we've we've built up some, you know, a kind of a tight network of, of oncologists that um, I would say at least somewhat align with with our views on things. And so uh, we're able to, uh, you know, collaborate with them, coordinate care with them. Uh, and again, I want to, you know, just kind of make very clear that I'm not against conventional yep. medicine by any means. And we're not here saying, hey, don't do any, you know, chemo or radiation or surgery, or whatever, like let's, I'm here to fill in all the yeah. gaps. Right. And I'm here to help you make sure that you don't continue to make more cancer in your body. Mm -hmm. I'm here to help you understand why you got this cancer in the first place. And, you know, we also do some very unique things with therapies like IV vitamin C, mistletoe therapy, things that work more through the body's own innate healing uh, capabilities, you know, through the immune system or through, like we talked about with detoxification, mm -hmm. or bringing down inflammation levels, addressing connected but other issues in the body like meta me metabolism problems, hormone problems, making sure that the body has every chance it's set up for success when it's going through all those more conventional toxic. Yeah, definitely. Do you so have you um, dove into any yeah. research in terms of um, you know fasting before? Uh, chemotherapy, do you, do you recommend things like that to your patients? I thought that was quite interesting when I read into that. Yeah. So you're, you're referring to like Dr. Longo's yes. research at USC. Um, and it's, 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 it's pretty phenomenal. You know, when you look at the research he's put out and uh, there's even more ongoing studies now, um, we actually had a, a current trial at CTCA, where we were doing uh, intermittent fasting around chemo with breast cancer. And um, the results are always good. The results are not only for better outcomes, but for better quality of life and less toxicity. So what you're seeing actually happen in those patients is when you are into a put your body into a fasting state, it has an opposite effect on your healthy cells than it does the cancer cells. Your healthy cells, because they're equipped with the um, the capability to kind of go into a hibernation mode. That's what we see happen with, with our healthy cells. If cells are in a disease state, they oftentimes lose that ability 
and it puts them into this more um, highly replicative, uh, ravenous type state where they're looking for fuel supplies. And so you can see where if you tee it up that way and then hit them with something like chemo, those cells are going to be much more vulnerable and susceptible, while at the same time, your healthy cells are going to be almost in this protective mode. And so fasting is a great, you know, that's kind of one of those like hacks, but it really is a great way to, um, to minimize the toxicity and optimize the outcome of things like chemotherapy and radiation. That's so incredibly interesting. And, and I've even read, you know, just, I, th- I can't remember exactly where the study was from, but they took people who had breast cancer, you know, they'd gone through treatment, but then just as a preventative fasted minimum, you know, 13 hours was kind of the, yeah, it's kind of like that happy medium. It doesn't need to be extreme. And so for me, that's kind of, that's where I like to live every single day as a preventative thing. Do you, do you agree with that too? I completely agree. I mean, I think it's important to realize that, you know, the whole breakfast is the most important meal of the day um, kind of thing is like, that was invented by like yeah. cereal. <laughs> no, you like, despite what you've been kind of like nailed into your head, like you don't need to eat first thing when you wake up in the morning. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there's some instances and cases where that would be a good thing. But as far as like everyday eating right when you wake up, it's really not neat necessary. Um, and so, yeah, extending that overnight fast to 13 hours or even up to 16. Once people get into that mode, we find that patients feel better. It's very easy. Uh, it oftentimes feel more feels more intuitive to them. Yeah, it just makes more sense. You're eating when you're actually hungry instead of just eating when you think that you need to eat, which that was kind of my other thing when you talked about metabolic health. And I know that with this virus, like we know that metabolic health is very, people are very susceptible. Do you see, I know that when we think of metabolic health, we think of, you know, people who are overweight, but I feel like I see people who are, are lean, who still have metabolic issues. Do you see that as well with your cancer patients? Absolutely. I see, you know, we, we call it, you know, metabolically broken or metabolically inflexible. And you can see this with, you know, some of the worst people I've seen are like endurance athletes that are vegan. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's like the cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) It's like perfect recipe for metabolic, uh, like brokenness. Um, and so it's, uh, it, it happens, it comes in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's not just your morbid obesity. Um, someone they could pass the eye exam, uh, very easily look like they're in great shape. And then you, you know, you run like a mo- metabolic profile on them and mm-hmm. it's a mess. And that's a huge, I mean, a huge risk factor, you know, when I just, I, that's a, I feel like a huge part of why that statistic is high because we're not, we're not metabolically flexible as a society. You know, we, we need to eat every few hours and, you know, you, right. you don't fast, you snack all night long and you eat when you wake up in the morning. And it's like, we're so away from how we just are intuitively and traditionally built. And I think that when we get back to that, you know, maybe we can restore a little bit of, of that healing. Absolutely. Because, you know, the metabolic uh, health of the body is, I mean, it's, it's really the touch point for so many other things that happened in the body. I mean, you know, this, it's like the immune system, hormones, your mind, body, uh, physiology. I mean, everything kind of like takes its cues from that metabolic and that circadian rhythm that happens, which, you know, is also getting people exercising and sleeping well. That's why those things are yep. so important. And so, uh, you know, these are like foundational things of health, but it turns out like over the last, you know, as we've gotten in a more and more 
conditioned and convenient society, like those are the things that have really gotten away from Oh, us. totally, totally. And I think that if we can get back to that, that would be amazing. And so, um, you know, I, I think that I, this is an interesting kind of question because, you know, when you dive into cancer research, there's Gerson and there's juicing and there's keto and there's all these things. And people are like, do I go vegan? Do I eat keto? You know, what do I do for us? I, I found that my mom fared the best when she did keto, um, and with some intermittent fasting, but what are, what do you personally like to do or what, what therapy or what type of diet, I guess, would you like to follow? I hate using like these dogmatic type diets, right. But just there's people are confused, you know, there's all plant-based and then you eat a bunch of fat and meat and it's like, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if there's anybody out there, you know, this is kind of like one of those warning signs, like how to spot someone that doesn't know what they're talking about. If someone says that there's one diet for all cancer patients, that's a red flag. Um, So there's a time and place for keto. There's a time and place for raw vegan. There's a time and place for juicing. There's a time and place for, you know, all kinds of diets, paleo, autoimmune, Mm -hmm. whatever. But to me, if you're not matching your diet strategy to what you're seeing in the soil conditions and what you know is going on clinically with your patient, um, like that's just, I mean, that's, that's a great answer. That's lazy. Yeah. And so that's why we put so much emphasis on doing that deep dive with our patients, following them closely. And, you know, during chemo, do you want to have someone on a vegan diet? No, they're going to need extra, extra protein at the bare minimum. So to put them on like a Gerson mm-hmm. Or, or vegan type style diet during chemo when they actually need to be bulking up and doing as much protein as possible. That's, that's a red flag. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, if you've got an early stage prostate cancer patient, who's doing a watch and wait, a Gleason six, you probably need to have them on a vegan diet. Gerson therapy would be great for that patient, especially if you check, you know, and they check their lipids and their cholesterol's high. They've got a history of that type of stuff get them off as much saturated fat as possible. You put that person on a keto diet or a paleo diet, bad news. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that, you know, bio-individual approach. Cause I, I don't think that there's one size fits all. The juicing was always confusing to me because I'm like, why would we want to spike their blood sugar potentially? But then it's more of like the alkaline and you know, the, the veggie. So Juicing. Yeah. My role with juicing is like, it should be most, mostly green vegetable juice. Uh, you know, you, you can absolutely overdo the carrot, apple, beet yeah. kind of stuff, which is most of these places are actually exactly. pushing. It's like 72 ounces of carrot juice every day. Like, give me a break. That's ridiculous. Um, but you know, I tell patients limit it to maybe four to six ounces. And the biggest thing is like, eat it as part of a meal, drink it with a meal. You don't want that, that big bolus of, of juice to go in all alone. Yeah. Okay. So, so pair it with your meal and use it, look at it as a way just to get a more concentrated version of those nutrients, but you absolutely want to be eating those fruits and vegetables in their whole form as well. And, you know, the juicing shouldn't be what you're sustaining your, your nutrition off of. Yeah. That's, that's super important. Um, I kind of want to, now I will say the one qualifier is like, maybe there's some detox programs where for a short period, some juicing might okay. make sense. And this is where, again, it's all about context and it's all about 
what clinical situation are you in with yeah. the patient? No, that's a that's an absolute great answer. I love that. Um, can you talk a little bit about mistletoe? I get a lot of questions, but I'm like, I just literally was went went through it with my mom. I did a little bit of research, but I'd love I think that this is an amazing plant medicine, you know, just how we've really shown how plants oh. can be medicine. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So you said your she mom did, did she it? She did. Um, we did intravenous, uh, or not intravenous, excuse me, um, subcutaneous. And then she'd go in the sauna and then, um, and then she would do intravenous, uh, a few days, like twice a week and then mix in mm -hmm. some vitamin C with it too. Um, it's, it was amazing when we learned about it. I mean, she would do it in her stomach. She'd get this really cool, like immune reaction. She'd sweat a lot in the sauna. Mm -hmm. I was like, what is this stuff? It's like, yeah, mistletoe is amazing. It's uh, it's really, you know, they kind of going back like history wise, you know, it's been around for a long time. But um, back when it was first discovered, like in the early 1900s and when Dr. Steiner and, and these these early anthroposophic doctors started using it, it was it was kind of classified. And a lot of the old writings about it kind of uh, referred to it as this like plant from another world because it pretty much goes against all the like normal laws of nature, the way it grows, it grows, you know, it, it blooms in the winter. Wow. Uh, it grows on other trees and kind of has no like real root structure. It grows as like this spherical orb. Um, so it, it's kind of fun to go back and read some of the like early texts about it. Now they say, Oh, this, this came from another dimension <laughs> and kind of gets kind of cosmic about it. But at the same time, um, that was one of the reasons why they thought, Hey, maybe there's some medicinal properties here. And um, in Europe, you know, there's a long history of use with it. It's a um, approved therapy in most countries over there. So, you know, patients are getting it pretty standardly a alongside their other cancer. We're treatments. so behind. Um, we're behind, you know, it's uh, in, in some ways, you know, the, the FDA process here for approval is like it, it helps because it makes sure that things are safe. But at the same time, it really kind of stagnates growth and, and progression of like getting some of these uh, you know, these new therapies in, but it, yeah, it's not really a new therapy. It's been right. around for a while. Um, and really at its core, it's, a, it's an immune therapy, you know? And so we go back to talking about how do we, how do we harness the body's ability to deal with the cancer on its own really starts and ends with the immune system because, you know, we, that's kind of the machinery that our body is built in with that, allows us to get rid of cancer cells, all of us on a daily basis, because we all have these potential, you know, errors in our cell replication that happen, or we've got, you know, an unhealthy environment somewhere in our body that's creating cancer cells. But luckily, most of the time, our immune system does a great job of getting, detecting and getting rid of those cells before they become a problem. So I tell patients the mistletoe is like restoring the factory settings on their immune system. Oh, I love that. That's and, a great... And yeah, it's typically um, it's typically done alongside all the traditional treatments because oftentimes those things are suppressing the immune system further. But then, really, when we can when we can do it, sort of once patients are done with their treatment or if they have breaks, that's when we can hit it harder with like IVs, uh, which is a more uh, a way to get a more ro robust immune response out of the mistletoe plant. It's typically done in the subcutaneous form, but more and more study now is looking into the intravenous application um, and finding that there are certain uh, situations where intravenous is, is much more effective. That's what I feel like I noticed. And the unfortunate thing is, so my mom was doing so much sub Q that then when she could, 
it was weird. She got kind of weak very quickly. And so when we, she was doing the IV, she was kind of already getting weaker. And so it was hard to, she just didn't have the strength to want to do it. Whereas I wish that if we hit it with the IV kind of sooner, you know, if it would have, if it would have, you know, it's, it's, you'll drive yourself crazy if you always think, Oh, what if. All right, you guys just interrupting the show really quick because we, there was an error with the recording. So it kind of, ended a little weird, but I just wanted to pop in and say, because we're talking about so many different things um, and we've mentioned so much of what we're talking about being lifestyle. um, I just wanted to remind you guys that I'd share a lot of my healthy swaps on household, personal care products, food. Um, I have a lot of that on my Instagram page under both the non-toxic living highlight and as well as under my food slash recipes. Um, Also right now, Beauty Counter is one of the companies that I love to use their products because they're clean. They are big in advocacy. They are doing a sale right now for 15% off. So if you did kind of want to make some of those swaps, now's a good time. Spring cleaning, kind of clean out some of your old stuff, add your new stuff in. Um, That's a shampoo that both Nick and I use. We use some of the soap. Um, Most of my makeup, if not all, um, is Beauty Counter, some of my skincare. So if you need help on those swaps, let me know. I'm more than happy to help, but let's get back to the... All right. Sorry, you guys. We cut out there. Not sure exactly what happened with the podcast recording, but we're back. Um, But I think that, I think that mistletoe is amazing. And I'm so glad that I was introduced to that from Dr. Nasha's book. Um, And, you know, Believe Big. And I think that they're an incredible organization. We donated, uh, we, our wedding, our wedding gift was a, a donation to them because it just, I think they're such an incredible That's organization. Really cool. You know, I think that I'm so excited for their they new are. facility yeah. and they're really going to pave the way. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking with them uh, not too long ago about that hospital they're building out in, um, out in Arizona and uh, it's going to be world-class. It's going to be uh, one of a kind and, and it's really going to pave the way. Cause I think there'll be more that'll come. Um, but yeah, Nasha and, and the people believe big and, and all the masterminds behind that are, uh, it's going to change. It's going to change the way that cancer care is delivered here and long overdue in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on, but before I let you go, I'd love to ask you if we could do three foods that you would recommend that people add in to kind of live a preventative lifestyle and then three lifestyle things to kind of help live this anti-cancer preventative lifestyle. Okay. Three foods. Okay. Definitely would say cruciferous veggies. I mean, I know that's like more than one food, but a food yeah. group, right? Yep. Broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels, kale, all those types of things, because they just contain, they're chock full of anti-cancer nutrients. Yep. Um, I would say berries, which is another kind of category, um, but chock full of antioxidants um, and, and, and polyphenols and all those things that help to repair our DNA on a daily basis, help keep our blood strong. And then I'd say, drink you some green tea. Oh, my favorite. Might not be a food, but you know, that's technically, hopefully that you'll, you'll accept that. Answer. Oh, totally. Green tea is one of my favorites. And I, I tell, uh, I tell every, like for hormones, it's great because it stops that conversion from testosterone to estrogen and it's, I mean, yeah. so many of these foods are literally all the foods that I tell people, if you want great hormone health and if you want optimal, you know, health, those are foods that should totally be added in. Right. That's, that's awesome. Um, what would you say three lifestyle things that people can add in would be? 
lifestyle things, I think I'll go back to, you know, when you, when we were talking about the toxins was eat organic, um, eat organic, um, as much as possible, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, you know, at least go by the dirty dozen on environmental working that. group. If you can, if you can do that, you're probably going to, you know, cut out a big chunk or at least make a dent in your exposure to pesticides and other things like heavy metals. Um, I would say, um, get outside as much as possible. Uh, the best medicine. get in nature, yeah. in nature as much as possible, you know, uh, kind of raw, um, un, um, uninhabited type places as much as possible and, um, work on your sleep. Mm. I would say work on your sleep. You know, you, if you're not, if you're struggling to, to fall or stay asleep or, you know, you've had sleep problems for years, uh, you constantly are waking up. Uh, you have to rely on a medication just to fall asleep. I mean, that's that's a red flag uh, for many things. And I would say that it would be worth it to work with somebody and figure that out, figure out what's going on there and get your sleep, get your sleep in order. Yeah, I think that's so important. I mean, that's a huge, we detox in our sleep, we recover, we repair our body. You know, if we're fasted and we're going through autophagy, our cells are kind of going through that cleanup. And I think sleep is, we live in such a, a society where like the more fast paced and the more do, 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 and the less sleep and whatnot, like that's, that's praised, but that catches up with people. And sleep right. is, I mean, sleep is a non-negotiable for me. I usually stop like all devices and everything by seven, which is going to be seven in like 10 minutes. So it's perfect. And then, you know, I read, I put blue light blockers on and I mean, sleep to me is like, as soon as my head hits the pillow, I'm out until I, my body wakes me up because my circadian rhythm you know, that's very important, but it's so many people struggle important. with that. You know, they need their melatonin to fall asleep or they need, you know, sleeping pills or, you know, whatever to even wind down. And we need to kind of think about why is your body struggling to do, to do this? I love that. Those are great tips. Right. And all, most of them are, you know, they don't cost that much. Practical. Yeah. They're practical. Yeah. 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 Very practical. Back to base. Awesome. Well, can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can learn about you? And are you, do you accept, uh, virtual, virtual people for anyone who might be wanting that? We do actually. Um, yeah, thanks. So we, um, we do accept virtual consults. Uh, I'll offer a one-time virtual second opinion consult eventually to, to work with me, um, continuously, you would have to come to at least for an initial evaluation to our clinic, which usually lasts about three to five days. But we're located, um, the Reardon Clinic is who I work for, and they've got uh, several clinics across the state of Kansas. But my clinic, which is solely devoted to integrative oncology care, is in Kansas City, actually in Overland Park, which is a suburb of Kansas City. But people that travel here from out of state would fly into to the Kansas City airport. Um, and we're, I would say, almost half, if not a little bit more than my patient base now are from out of state. So we're very comfortable having patients come in for that week, do that evaluation, um, and then still being able to coordinate their care when they get back home. You know, we're able to ship a lot of IV kits to patients. That's awesome. We're able to, the mistletoe is able to be done oftentimes by self-injection. We can order labs, unless you're in New York. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we found ways around the New York issue. It just is a little bit of a pain in the butt, but, um, but yeah, we have, you know, patients that we manage their care from literally all around the world. We have a few from Canada now that we're working with. So um, we've broken across uh, 
um, the, the borders a little awesome. bit, but yeah. So, and then online, um, reardonclinic.org is our website. And then personally me, you can find me a lot on Instagram at Dr. Lucas. Awesome. I'll definitely make sure I put those in the show notes, but again, thank you so much for your time. I mean, I know that you have a busy day of treating patients and then you come on and you, and you talk on the podcast with me. And I think that I just can't thank you enough for helping me, you know, share this information and, and all the work that you do. It's amazing. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Um, Haley, nice to meet you and uh, hopefully we can do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, you guys, thanks so much for sticking around with a little technical difficulty error. I kind of, I tried recording on a different platform this time because I thought that the audio would be clear um, and I thought that it would be easy and like it just, it kind of messed us up in the middle. So I definitely apologize for that, but I hope that overall you guys enjoyed the amazing tidbits of info. Um, you know, I really just, I really hope that I can do one thing and that's just help people prevent things like cancer. Like we had talked about one in two males, one in three females will get this diagnosis in a year or in their lifetime. Sorry. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, that needs to change big time. And that really, I think in my opinion can change with our day-to-day -day preventable actions, like choosing cleaner products, Swipping, switching out these toxic things in our life. Um, it's really kind of the small changes over time. It's not that we have to do these crazy drastic things. It's really slowly over time. You just really adjust your, your lifestyle. Um, the food that you eat, you kind of cut out and limit the things that, you know, we don't know what are causing. Like, I, I think of this so often, like these dyes, these artificial things, we have no idea what this does long-term in humans. We do know in, in, in rodent and mammal studies that these things do cause cancer. And I really just worry that, that those type of things are going to continually, continuously make, make this epidemic of uh, cancer and chronic disease way worse. Um, so for me, that's why, you know, I'm very big on clean ingredient swaps. Um, I'm both in food, personal care products, you know, mindset, lifestyle, all of those things, because I know the compounding effects that those amazing things can have. And, and as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm literally outside. Um, I've got, I'm, before I go into the office, I just wanted to get some quick vitamin D um, because vitamin D status is a, a really big thing that we look at with chronic disease and cancer, especially, um, you know, most cancer patients when they're diagnosed, they're, they're low, they're in their usually 20s and 30s. Uh, I use a vitamin D. So not I use, sorry, um, their like their measurement of vitamin D is, is very low. So you know, vitamin D is one of the easiest things that we can do. And it's free. All you have to do is just expose your skin to the sun. You can take a supplement. Um, in the summer, I'm like, why would I do that when I could just get outside and be mindful about that? But um, again, all about free medicine. I'm all about lifestyle medicine. Um, I really hope that you guys enjoyed this talk with Dr. Lucas. He's amazing. So make sure you guys give him a follow on social media. It's really fun when he can talk about certain cases that he's seeing. Um, like for instance, that, that woman who had very high levels of plastics. I mean, really cool to kind of see what these docs are seeing in practice. Um, so yeah, I, I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, and I will see you guys next week. Next week's episode is going to be an all, um, empowered consumer series about, uh, ingredients that you want to be looking out for in your personal care products. So you'll want to bring a notepad or type down the notes on your phone so that you guys can have like a quick go-to list of things that I would limit in personal care products. Um, so you have that, that empowerment, that education. So in between these interviews, like I said, I like to sprinkle that, those empowered consumer series, just because there's so much that I want to educate on. So that's why we're doing that. But anyways, thank you guys for listening. Have a great rest of your day.
continue to be the alpha of your health.